expressed on this program are not necessarily those of WTBAX board staff or underwriters. You are listening to Ability Radio. I am one of your hosts, Amelia Headley Lamont of the Disability Rights Center of the Virgin Islands. And today I am really excited about having an individual who works in the community in another jurisdiction. Uh, for your information, I am in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, and particularly in the Portland, Oregon area. And our guest today is Danita Worthy. She is a housing case manager for an organization called Greater Good Northwest. And we're going to hear a lot more about the kind of work that she does, and frankly, what's possible for our community here in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Good day, Miss Worthy. How are you? I am fine. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for your willingness to share your 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 work experience. I met you a few weeks ago, maybe more than a few weeks ago, and I was quite enthralled with the kind of work that you're doing. And I just wanted to share your your passion <laughs> with our community as well, because I think it's very important. For those of you in the audience, some of you may or may not have known that back in 2003, the Disability Rights Center of the Virgin Islands had filed a lawsuit um, against the government of the Virgin Islands for um, its inability to hmm, maintain a mental health service system. Um, we, the community developed a strategic plan in 2014, and we still have yet to have something that can be pointed at um, as a successful um, system. So, Danita Worthy, I would love to hear from you what you and your organization, Greater Good Northwest, um, has been doing. What do you see as successes and such? So let's start off with you, your work. What does that involve? Okay, so I am, again, a housing case manager. And what that involves on a day-to-day -day basis, we actually, um, we have several programs in our organization as a housing case manager, what we do when uh, we have a motel where I work. And it it used to function as a regular motel, but right now it's transitional housing. What that means is that we have people that may come from tents. They may come through our outreach program. We have people that work in outreach. They go supply things to the people in tents. Maybe they'll supply them with tents, food, water, so have it. We also supply that at our motel. So when people walk up and get food, three meals a day, mm -hmm. we supply them with their essential needs, uh, things like that. We don't turn anyone away. And um, when they come there and we put them in our program, so we have people who can give them uh, put them in a program to give them vouchers, okay? So they mm -hmm. do an assessment with them. And then the county, Multnomah County, Washington County is where we are in Hillsborough, Oregon. There are different counties, Clackamas County. There's so many different counties, as you will, um, where Oregon is divided. Mm -hmm. But these counties, they have resources. So there are different areas, so people can go to those areas and get these resources and their housing available. So they may have vouchers. These vouchers will allow them to be able to get sustainable housing. And it goes according to their income. They will pay a certain amount. And so these vouchers will allow them to 
be able to live and be able to have affordable housing. So they won't just come off of the street, put them somewhere and they can't stay. Okay. So even private landlords can use these vouchers, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So with our program, the transitional, and by my being a housing case manager, what that does is it helps me to be able to work with them and prepare them for that transition. Some people have been on the street for so long that they need to be reacclimated back into living uh, life on life's terms. Right. Being able to do those basic skills that it takes to be, um, how can I say, um, you know, just those basic skills, not living on the street, but living in an apartment to respect your place, to respect your neighbors. It's a different mindset. And so we do that and we help them. And they learn how to live in a community in a whole different way. It's beautiful. I love to see that transition. Mm-hmm. And uh, we work with them. And they work with us. And it's beautiful to see that. Hmm. Okay. So uh, when you talk about the transition, I'm assuming it involves training, right? How to be part of, as you say, a, a community that's sheltered, so to speak, right? Well, or yes. What else? That- Mm-hmm. That too. And also some people need a higher level of care. So uh, sometimes when you're in the street, you're not making appointments. So you may not know what you need. And so if we need to um, connect with uh, partners, like we have Community Connect, this thing called Yellow House, Open Door, things like that, Sequoia Mental Health. Sometimes you know, we often work together. We partner together with a lot of different groups and we find out what it is and it's like wraparound support. We all support each other and we work together as a team so that the support doesn't just come from, you go from one program to another and we just drop you off. No, we all work together. And then once they leave us, there's a program of another team, retention. So they're not just go from one place to another and then they just drop you off. No, you just don't go to another level and you're flailing. We try to set you up for success in the long run so that you're just not going out. It's a, it's a long-term goal and we're not trying to just put a Band-Aid on a problem, just try to just get you off the street and just, okay, bye. Mm-hmm. No, we're trying to make it so that you stay off the streets and into a better life. You know, of course, some people can't uh, make it on their own, but then that's up to us as housing case managers and as a supportive team to realize if someone really can't make it on their own, then maybe they need adult foster caring. Maybe they need um, a housing where they're not independent. We have to work together to find that out. You mentioned something that stuck with me and you talked about foster caring. And I think the general assumption, I may be wrong, is we always associate foster care with children. But you're suggesting that there's also a system or program that provides foster care for adults. Am I correct? Absolutely. And there are, um, it's a lot of misconceptions about foster care. 
because um, we have adult foster cares for the elderly. There are adult foster cares for even young. It may be mental health situations and they're not uh, senior citizens. And maybe they don't have the capacity to make uniform decisions, but they can take care of themselves, but they can't um, do basic skills. And so they need someone to make sure they're taking their meals, make sure that they are, um, you know, getting their baths and mm -hmm. things like that. And they need someone, it's not a parent, it's not a group setting, but then maybe that's what they need. Mm -hmm. So that's where the housing case manager and the supportive team comes in. And we work together and we find these things out. We find these things out through assessments and through uh, team efforts. How do you, just practically speaking, I mean, I'm intrigued that you say you have different organizations that may have different focus. How do you communicate with each other consistently so that let's say Mr. Jones is not taking his meds or Mr. Jones is faltering? How, how do the organizations mesh to ensure that there is that successful continuum that you talked about? Uh, it's interesting that you say that. Um, it's interesting you say that. Okay, so I will give you an example. Right now, I have a, um, I have a gentleman that uh, it's been quite the challenge to get him to his uh, medical needs, and uh, it's he. How can I say it's he trusts me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, with my organization, I'm not privy to take him to his appointments, okay? I can't mm -hmm. put him in my car because of restrictions. Mm -hmm. However, the other organization that referred him, they can take him. But it's hard to keep up with him because he runs in, he runs out, he runs uh -huh. in, he runs out. So... There I am. I have to keep a watchful eye. So then when I finally see him, it's like, oh, I see him. So I'm on the phone and I get to call his other case manager. He's on site. Come and get him. You know, and then here I am, you know, with the cake. Come and get him now. And then she gets to put her cape on, fly over there. And, Hi, here I am. And then he's willing to go. He needs somebody to hold his hand. Right. I can go with him on the bus, but he's scared to catch the bus. Ah, so okay. that's the only thing. I can go on the bus. I just can't put him in my car because of insurance reasons. Right. But she can because she's equipped with it, and that's what her, her job does. But we work together in that respect. You know, I can't, you can. I think I'll let you, let's do this, you know. And so that's what I mean about, you know, it's kind of like a tag team effort type thing. And we do that with other case managers too. If there is a sore subject mm -hmm. or something someone can't handle or say it's a woman and she can't talk to a man, mm -hmm. just like doctors, some people are very, very, you know, Right. Specific about who they want to talk to and who they don't. We feed in on that and we get the best person for that person because we don't want anything to hinder their growth. Makes sense. Makes sense. So it, it sounds like it's built in as far as you know who the players are in different organizations. 
I mean, how do you how do you get together? How do you know? Okay, call Danita because this person needs a house. Call somebody else. <laughs> oh, we do a lot of networking, but you know there is a group too um, that, that's in uh, Montgomery County, and it's called the Hayden Group, the Home Homeless uh, Alcohol Drug Information Network. They meet at twelve noon every Wednesday, and they've been doing it for over twenty years. Wow! And they meet downtown, and it's like a it's a table, if you will. Okay. <laughs> and it's um, all the organizations. It may be about twenty organizations, and they meet for about an hour. And you can bring your lunch and everything, and everybody, somebody will throw out a scenario, and everyone just says, "Hey, I can help you with that." You can do this, 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 this. And everybody feeds off of each other, pass out business cards, and you create a positive network of friends. And it's sort of like, I don't know, I'm kind of aging myself. It's like the old Creole commercial. You tell two friends and they tell two friends. Right, right. You know? They meet how often? Every every week, week. yeah. Wow. I, don't, I'm, I know it stopped for a little while during the pandemic, but it was every week at every week at twelve noon, and I heard they started back up again. Yes. Oh, excellent. Another thing I remember hearing from you at a at a previous time was there's, and I'm not sure who the who the individuals are. You can clarify that for me. I I got the impression it was uh, law enforcement who can identify an individual maybe because they're registered with some tag and they'd say, okay, so-and-so, you didn't go and have a shower or something. Come with us. Oh, yes. What, yes, what yes. is what is that all about? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. We have, um, uh, people don't realize that uh, we have a group here, uh, Clean and Safe. And uh, clean and if safe. someone, yeah, clean uh -huh. and safe, you can call clean and safe for anything. But if there mm -hmm. is someone out on our streets and they are a public nuisance, smelly, dirty, whatever, you could call the cops and say, hey, you know, this person is on the street or if the cops drive by and they see them, mm -hmm. they can pull them in. They can go in front of the judge and the judge can uh, mandate them. They have to take showers, wash their clothes um, twice or three times a week. And uh, the thing is, is that when they mandate them, we have thing, uh, transition projects, Central City Concern. We have different groups here and uh, where they can go. Like I mentioned again, the Yellow House, things like that. But they get tags, uh, IDs, if you will, mm -hmm. that have a barcode. Mm -hmm. When they go to these places, and take showers uh, or wash their clothes. It sends a barcode in HMIS, which is the Homeless Management Information Systems. If they don't take these showers or baths, then it sends them out an alert that lets them know that they're not doing what they were supposed to do. And they can have to do some time for a probation violation. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yes, it's, it's holding them accountable, you know, it's sometimes it can seem kind of harsh, but it's a safety thing, too, you know, mm -hmm. we have to, um, especially with the pandemic and things like that, people have to stay clean, mm -hmm. 
and they have to think about their own health, uh, mentally and physically. So, yeah, <laughs> that is something that people just don't think about. Wow. How long have you been doing this kind of work? Oh, I've been doing this kind of work for over 10 years now. Okay. And what brought you to this kind of work? Because this is not, quote unquote, the, <laughs> I'm going to go out there and become a housing manager for people <laughs> who are disenfranchised and, you know, difficult. <laughs> Not all the time, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, actually, I I was um, I under after a series of unfortunate events became homeless myself, and uh, I can just say I co-signed for someone's car, and they filed bankruptcy without telling me. Ouch. And the bank kind of froze all of my assets, and I became homeless for eighteen months. And during that process, um. My job actually <laughs> saw me going to, uh, I had slept in my car one night and because uh, I had, couldn't find a hotel room. And they saw me go change my clothes and come out. And when I got to the job, they said my homelessness didn't fit the criteria of a manager in the fire room. Oh, boy. So, but it was a blessing in disguise because I got into a homeless shelter. And from there, uh, I got into resources. Um, I was able to um, get all of the resources that I'm doing now. I learned so much. And I said, you know what? I was being judged on, well, I wasn't being really judged unfairly. But I, the things I thought about homeless people, I knew weren't true. Okay. <laughs> it was like, Okay, God, I hear you. <laughs> you know, mm. well, isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? <laughs> I had to, I had to rethink myself, and I said, you know what? I'm not gonna be that person. I'm gonna be the one to show people that you know it's not always what you think it is, and and uh, I'm gonna be that person that will listen because I would talk to people and just because I walked up didn't mean that I didn't have an education or, you know, it's just, I just wanted to be that one person who would listen and really, really cared and really wanted to help. And so after that, I changed my career and it's been wonderful. It's just you, been, yeah. You told me about a situation where you met someone on the train. You want to share that with our with our audience, oh. <laughs> yes, I um, I I ended up being a program manager at a um, at Salvation Army, and uh, I remember I uh, when I first got there, I started uh, giving people chores because it was um, the single room occupancies, and I started saying, "Hey, we got to teach you how to start doing chores, and I'm gonna show you how to clean the bathrooms." <laughs> Everybody gave me opposition and they was like, I don't want to clean the bathrooms. So I taught a lady, one lady, I taught them me individually how to clean the bathrooms with them. And she was, oh, she just hated me for it. So then after I stopped working there and I, I worked to so many uh, different places, <laughs> a, a couple months ago, and I just was on the train and this lady comes up to me, hey, you remember me? <laughs> 
I did. And I, hi, how are you? And she's, yeah, remember when you taught me how to do the bathroom? And I, was, I was like, yes, I remember. She said, remember how mad I was? I said, yes. And she said, well, you taught me how to clean the bathroom so good. Our um, cleaners at the job was sick one day and the boss asked me to clean the bathroom and I did. And guess what? Now I'm the head of the housekeeper because I did the bathroom so good. I was like, oh, man. Wow. I thought that was amazing because of the little details and everything. And she just, she made my day because it was just that little thing, you know. I, I just never uh, thought it would touch her like that because I remember that whole conversation, how she was so mad. And everybody kept talking about the chores and why are you having us do chores? And and I kept saying, well, even if you have children, just think about it. You want your children back. You're going to need to have chores at home. This is a new beginning. You can teach them how to do this. You're starting fresh. Let's start now. Do it with a simple chore. You know, I don't know. No. See, I told you I can go on and on. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's always nice to hear about your successes has i guess let's say since the pandemic have there been any successes that you can point to you think that uh, makes your job satisfying oh absolutely um we just had three people move out uh in the past week at our um at our place you know it's uh the turnaround is great. Um, it's like every month is somebody. We try to have people find a place, um, not be there more than uh, 90 days or 100 days. Mm -hmm. We really try to do a really quick turnaround. Um, it's just, what can I say? Um, I can't even really pick one spot special one out because mm -hmm. they're also uh okay so uh what can I say I have one person that was very she's really quiet and she came in and it was almost like she didn't know who to trust and she came in and at the time we we just I don't know she didn't know who to trust she came in very young and quiet mm -hmm. we talked and it wasn't just she and I it was a lot of people but right now people are struggling with identity and being misgendered and right. the, the struggle is really hard. Right. We have an amazing crew where one of our um, staff members decided to buy buttons that says she, her, he, them, they, it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and put the buttons out front. Hmm. So she was able to put she, her on herself. And it like it brightened up 
the whole thing because then people weren't misgendering her Mm -hmm. after that. Mm -hmm. And then she got motivated to looking for apartments. Mm -hmm. So it was like a light bulb went off or something. It was like soon she got this thing and everybody was saying she, her. Next thing you know, there was like no depression. Went for the apartment, got the apartment, then moved in the next week. I mean, it was it was almost like a firecracker. Like it just moved wow. in the next week, and the outreach program was able to get furniture, and there was no they weren't able to get a TV. And I had a thirty six inch in my living room. I'm like, you want a TV? <laughs> and she was like, yes. And I was like. Right, <laughs> I wanted to work, and I was just like, yes, 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 that's all I need. This all this excitement, and I thought that was just the greatest thing because I was like, okay, yay, whoo! Oh, but it was just the little things, you know. It was just a button. Wow, made a big difference. And all this time, we were trying to push her to look for a place, work with your case manager. Let's get you something. All it took, we were even trying to find support groups for transgender, mm-hmm. um, all this. It's a group called Plume. We looked that up. We were looking up everything so we could do Zoom meetings, maybe with a support group. This will motivate her. That button, I'm telling you, that was what oh. it was. And sometimes it could be something just that simple. Just that That's simple. What I'm yeah. Wow. A- approximately how many cases does your organization have at the present time? Not to say that that's the <laughs> controlling number, but just how many cases or individuals your organization serves. Ooh, wow. That is hard to say. Okay. That, okay. Uh, the only reason I say it's hard to say is because, um, only reason I say this hard to say is because we maybe have like, um, maybe 40 units. Okay. However, we've been there two years, every hundred days, maybe four or five people are moving out. We got a big retention team. Mm -hmm. And then we got the people that are, um, uh, let me see, on outreach, you know, so we have people that come in, let me explain that, people that come in off the streets that are intense. And they're applying for the, um, what do you call it, the um, vouchers. Mm-hmm. So we don't know them. And they come in and say, how can I get help? How can I get a voucher? So they go into HMIS, Homeless Management Information Systems, right? They go in there and they put them in. But the county, Washington County, are the ones who pick them for the vouchers. So basically, they're in our system, but they're not. They might not come to us. They might go to another shelter. Wow. Yeah. You have given us a wealth of information, and I'm hoping at some point we can explore a little bit more about your successes with the um, organization that you work with, the Greater Good Northwest. Folks, I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time and listening to us today. I think we've learned a lot (laughs) from Danita Worthy and her wonderful work. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of WTJX, its board, staff, or underwriters.